Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Money Wise with Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group, your financial and retirement guide. Thank you so very much for making us a part of your Sunday morning. You know, the mission of USA Wealth is to help you protect your family and protect your money. And Ray, nobody better to do this than you. Good morning. Good Sunday morning, Phil. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. And good Sunday morning, Attorney Michael Coleman, who's good. with us today. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Phil, and ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be talking about all about trusts. You'll be amazed at how many different kinds of trusts there are out there that we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. We have midgets. We have fidgets. We have <laughs> eyelets. We have revocable living trust. We have Medicaid-friendly trust. We have pet trusts. We have... Trust to do with insurance. We have trust to do with creating a dynasty. It's called a dynasty trust. We have special needs trust. It's really amazing how many different kinds of trusts there are. Mike, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. And first of all, where do you work? And I know you're an attorney at law. Yes, I am. I'm an attorney at Lance Law. Uh, I graduated from law school in 2007 and have been practicing since then. Uh, We do estate planning, so we deal with all sorts of trusts and wills and we do probate, so we're more than capable of talking about all these different kinds of trusts and what they do and how they can help. You know, even Oliver Wendell Holmes said about trusts, put not your trust in money, but put your money in trusts. <laughs> and that's very true. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about pet trust as well. I know that uh, you've done a pet trust just recently. Just recently, yes. Actually, one of our clients left their entire estate to a pet trust for their dog. Their entire state. Well, we yeah. won't ask wow. on the air what the size of that was. I know Leona Helmsley did that one yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I think it was a $12 million bequest she left for her pet. It was her mm-hmm. dog. I think his name was Cuddles. Or maybe it was Bubbles. I can't remember. Or maybe it was Cuddles and Bubbles. <laughs> but in We any spent event, our honeymoon there. Did you really? <laughs> well, she left $12 million to her pet dog, and the family members challenged it, and the court ended up reducing the amount back down to $4 million, figuring that would be enough money to create uh, a, a yeah. nice lifestyle for the rest of this little doggy's life. I hope so. What happens uh, after the animal passes on and there's money left in the, the trust? Well, what would happen, Mike? In the case that we've just had, uh, they decided to give it to a charity. So rather than uh, give it to some other relative, they're going to give it so to a charity. So it's a contingent beneficiary then that right. happens. exactly. And I suppose you could leave it to a subsequent spouse or something like that. You could, yeah. Did you ever hear of Abigail Van Buren? Yeah, sure. Uh, Dear, Dear Abby, Abby column? Yeah. Well, she wrote once, In biblical times, a man could have as many wives as he could afford, just like today. <laughs> I interviewed her daughter. Her daughter is fascinating, just like the mom. Yes, and she took over the business too, didn't she? Mm -hmm. Well, it's fun. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about some uh, Greek uh, philosophers. We have a quotation from Sophocles, and Sophocles once said, Opportunity has power over all things. A very wise man, a very wise saying. Mm -hmm. So does Celeste. No, Celeste is a wise woman. Oh, you mean she has power over all things? Okay, I got it. A little slow this morning. Okay. Well, we all know that to be the case, don't we? Yes, dear. And um, another famous Greek philosopher, Phil, whose name was 
Epictetus, we always have difficulty pronouncing his name, said, no man is free who is not master of himself. Mm-hmm. So, well, they knew this stuff, you know, three, four, five thousand years ago. That's what's amazing. Yeah. And nothing's changed. <laughs> no, I know it. <laughs> the more things change, the more they remain the same. Well, we're going to talk about trust. So let's get right into talking about a trust. I know a trust is a legal document, Mike, and it basically it's a document between two different kinds of people. What are they called? Well, the person that sets up the trust is called the trustor. So if you wanted to make a trust, you would be the trustor, anyone out there listening. And then there are the trustees. Normally the trustee, depending on the kind of trust, the trustee would be the person who sets up the trust. So the trustor and the trustee would normally be the same person. In some kinds of trusts, like the irrevocable trust that we might talk about today, mm-hmm. the trustee would be a different person. Okay. And so if you have a trustor who is the person that creates it, and the trustee, the person that manages it, then they must manage it for the benefit of somebody. They do. They are beneficiaries, of course. And normally during a person's lifetime, they're going to be the beneficiaries of their own trust. Um, But then there are beneficiaries when they pass away. Normally it's children. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there are contingent beneficiaries. So the way it works really is once you do the trust, ideally you never have to change it again unless there's a major life change or a change in the law. But that's a great thing about a trust is that it has so many layers of beneficiaries and trustees that you'd really never have to worry about it again. What I find most interesting about trust is the fact that there's so many different kinds of trust and so many different types of trusts. Right. So um, I guess we ought to probably ask the question, what distinguishes a trust, say, from a will? Because I know they both deal with property frequently. Right. A lot of people don't understand, but a will is a document that actually has to go through a probate process. It has to be submitted to a court. Uh, the person, the personal representative now that used to be called executors or executrixes, uh, now they're called personal representatives, but they have to actually go into court and uh, petition the court to be appointed personal representative. Mm-hmm. The will is submitted, the original will has to be submitted to the court, and that can be a sort of a long and costly process. Uh, the great thing about a trust is that the trust actually does not go into court at all. There's no court involvement. So I guess sometimes people think of the will. We actually had a client call in yesterday, the uh, daughter of a woman who recently passed away, and she wanted to come into the office to do the reading of the will, sort of like they do on TV. Yes, on television. I've seen that on television. (laughs) That doesn't happen. So we told her that she needed to come in and have an appointment and talk about things. I think in that case, you probably should have just sat down and read the will. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and charged by the hour, maybe. Okay, yeah, maybe next time. <laughs> That's interesting. But, you know, that that is a fiction that a lot of people have because they've seen it on television that all the beneficiaries gather in the, a lawyer's office and he says, I leave my dog to so-and-so and I leave all my money to my favorite grandson. Right. And everybody faints at the table. <laughs> but But that's just fiction, isn't it? Right. I mean, you can't do that because uh, if someone passes away with, say, a bank account in their name alone... Uh, the bank is not going to allow anyone to walk in there and handle that account. Uh, they're going to want to see some legal documents to allow someone else to do something with that, that account. Otherwise, they would be liable. Like the personal representative you just mentioned. Right, exactly. So it sounds like then you can have a will and leave your property, or you can have a trust and leave your property. But it right. sounds like the trust has a lot of advantages over I, the will. I think so. Um, the major advantage is... 
not having to go through the court process, I think. The other advantage, I don't know if we're going to get into this today, but saving on estate taxes, that's another big advantage of having a trust. Okay, well, uh, let's talk about that right now. How does a trust save on estate taxes? Uh, depending on the size of your estate, if you have an estate over $5.4 million at the moment, you are exposed to federal estate taxes. If you have an estate above a million dollars right now, you're exposed to Massachusetts estate taxes. And if you have a trust that's drafted properly, you can split up the assets that are in that trust and help to manage your exposure to estate tax. So does that mean you get like two exemptions then? You that, do. If each, that's the case? Yeah. If you're married, uh, each spouse has an exemption. And if you don't have a trust, what would happen is that the one spouse's assets would all probably pass to the other spouse and you would use the unlimited marital deduction that you have, but you would not use your exemption or the coupon that you have for estate taxes. So that would essentially just be wasted. So this is fairly complicated stuff, obviously, and I suspect that not a lot of people listening today have an estate that's worth $5.4 million. Right. Probably right. not. But mm-hmm. there may be a lot of people listening who have an estate worth more than a million dollars. Right. And this is made up of any proceeds of life insurance policies that we might talk about in a little mm-hmm. bit. This is your real estate. This is any investment accounts that you have, bank accounts, all personal property. So it really includes a lot of different kinds of assets. So in Massachusetts, let's say if you're a married couple, it might be fairly simple for people to put together a total estate worth more than a million dollars. Oh, definitely. If you have uh, investment accounts or if you have an IRA, a 401k, and you own a house, and maybe you have some life insurance, it can certainly get up there. So the basic problem is that if you have a couple in that situation, then if they don't do trust planning, if they have everything in joint tenancy, for example, they could end up paying Massachusetts estate tax. Right. I mean, when the first... A lot of people come into our office and they talk about holding accounts jointly, and that's okay. Uh, The one thing to understand about that is that when one of you passes away, the other one's going to be the sole name on that account. So at that point, you'd have to do something. If you don't want to do something now, you're going to have to do something later is the bottom line. So this is really complicated, especially the tax side of it. If somebody was looking to get more information and a little bit more detail about how Trusts uh, are different from wills and how they work. Um, what advice might you give them? I know you're doing some seminars recently. We do have some, some seminars or workshops coming up. Uh, one of them is on Tuesday, March 24th at 2 p.m. at our office at Lance Law on 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. Second one is on Thursday, March 26th at 6.30 p.m. And that's also at our office. And finally, on Saturday, March 28th at 10 a.m., we have one at our office as well, 352 Fonts Corner Road. So if you'd like to sign up for one of those, you can call us at 508-998-8800. Or if you want to go online, you can go to lancelawinc.com and sign up there. Okay, and then you'd be able to give a lot more detailed information about how a trust might work, for right. example. The workshop is normally about an hour and a half long, hour to an hour and a half long. We'll talk about all these different issues here. And then we also offer free consultations. So if you want to make an appointment after the workshop, you can do so and come in to talk with us about all these different issues at no no charge. Wow. So ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to listen to attorney Michael Coleman uh, talk a little bit more in detail about the benefits of using trust versus wills and the differences between them and some of the other documents that somebody ought to have in their trust portfolio or their estate planning file, Um, you ought to go to one of their seminars. 
We're talking this morning with attorney Michael Coleman. And uh, Michael, who else is making a presentation at that seminar besides you? Tenny Lance, who is not here today, but she is another attorney at Lance Law, and she'll be talking as well. Good. You know, Phil, once upon a time, we had a very famous gentleman named Thomas Jefferson, and he said, which I think is kind of obvious, never spend money before you have it. Huh. But how could you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, isn't that the mess we're in nowadays? Well, of course it is, especially (laughs) in this country. You know, we used to say that our deficit in this country was $17 trillion. Now it's up to $18 trillion, which is, you know, we can't even conceive of that number. One of our other famous uh, Greek philosophers that we quoted a few moments ago, Epictetus, said, if you wish to be a writer, write. Well said. Short and to the point. And then I have to give you just one more Greek quotation, especially since we've recently come off St. Patrick's Day, because the the uh, the Greeks must have known the Irish, is all I can say, because... Why? Well, we had a, a famous uh, Greek playwright uh, called uh, Euripides. Oh, yeah. And he once wrote, Stay home when you are drunk. <laughs> <laughs> no. These are truly famous Greek quotations. They are. <laughs> well, in any event, we'll move on from there. So we've talked about revocable living trust, and that's probably the most common trust that I suspect you deal with. It is, Mike. yep. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned also the pet trust, which you're kind of interesting. Very. And I think a lot of people might be interested in providing for their pet, perhaps not their entire estate, but they may want to make some provision. Right. I think so. I mean, people really love their cats and dogs and whatever else they may have. Um, so when they pass away, obviously, they want them to be taken care of. So if you don't want to pick someone now, uh, think about it. You can choose someone that you think would take good care of your pet, and you can leave them a certain sum of money in a pet trust account, and your pet will be taken care of. Mm, I think that's important to do. Does the person have to agree beforehand? I think it would be a good idea to talk to them about it to make sure that they want to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, there could be a problem somewhere down the road. Now, when you sign a pet trust, do you you put the paw print of the pet on the trust (laughs) document? Ideally, yes. I think think you should do that. uh, I think that would be interesting to do. (laughs) Fido. This is a... well, actually, what's the name of your 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 dog's name is Logan, Logan right? Right. And so. what I've heard actually is that um, dogs' noses are like people's fingerprints. Well, that's even better. Yeah, <laughs> they're all different. <laughs> Take out a little ink pad, stick it in the dog's nose, and put a nose print. Yeah. So I think you should tell people that and see see how they react. <laughs> okay. I think that would be interesting to do. Uh, who here listening today is happy about daylight savings time? I look forward to that weekend every single year. Yeah. Don't you like to have the extra hour of daylight? Absolutely. You betcha. It just makes you feel better. So for 10 cents, Phil, who invented daylight savings time? Oh, I think uh, probably the farmers. Ben Franklin. Oh, Ben Franklin. Wow. Ben Franklin was an amazing man. I've been a great fan of Ben's for many, many years. But he did the calculation, and he actually wrote the proposal and talked about the fact that it would save enormous amounts of money because people could work longer. He did very detailed calculations about how much money we could save and the fact that uh, we needed to produce more in order to raise taxes to support the revolution, and everything else that we did. But um, he actually, in 1784, wrote a very detailed proposal to create 
daylight savings time. Hmm. So when you celebrate daylight savings time, ladies and gentlemen, you're grateful for that extra hour of daylight that we long for every winter. Thank Ben Franklin because he's the man that created it. He was a brilliant man. He just had so many ideas of things he could do. I know it. Now, if he had thought about it in his day, he probably would have created the pet trust as well. Probably. Did he have any pets? I'm sure he did. He had lots of uh, lady admirers, oh. both in France and in this country. <laughs> wow. I admire all of those great minds of that era. Yes. Just amazing yeah. when you think about it. Well, there were so many more things to create and invent then. I mean, he calculated the tides. He figured out the Gulf Stream. He mapped the Gulf Stream. He was the first person to map wow. the Gulf Stream. Mm. He created musical instruments. Uh, he just did so many, many things. But yeah. in any event, we're going to go back to our talk of, topic of trusts, all about trust. Now, there's something called an ILIT. There is. I-L-I-T, Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust. What does that kind of a trust do, Mike? Well, if you have a life insurance policy, as I mentioned before, that's actually part of your estate. So say you have $800,000 in assets and then you have a $400,000 life insurance policy, that's going to bring you up over that $1 million mark. Mm -hmm. So that means that you would be exposed to estate taxes here in Massachusetts. So if you wanted to draft one of these or sign one of these trusts, the Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust, what you would do is you would transfer, essentially transfer that policy into the trust. And once three years goes by and you follow certain annual rules, the policy, the proceeds from that policy would be taken out of the estate. Okay. So it would be brought back down to the $800,000 mark and thereby um, not be exposed to estate taxes. All right. And you can do this for yourself or for a spouse or you could even do it for children. Right. You can have the spouse be the beneficiary of the policy still. You can have your children be the beneficiaries of the policy. Like I said, there are certain uh, rules that need to be followed annually. There are something called crummy powers mm -hmm. that need to be uh, adhered to. <laughs> sounds, so, sounds pretty crummy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it is complicated. It's something that you would definitely want to talk to an attorney about, but it is something that can be really helpful. It sounds like that would be most, most appropriate for somebody who might have a larger life insurance policy on their life. Right. Yeah, we did one recently for someone who had an $800,000 policy. So that was something that's going to help them in the long run with their estate taxes as long as they get to that three-year mark and they follow those, those rules. Mm -hmm. I know there's also a special three-year rule, for example. If you take an existing life insurance policy and you want to get it out of your estate and you want to transfer it into one of these islets mm – -hmm. Um, you can do that, but then there's a three-year period before it's out of your estate. Right. The IRS wants three years, and they'll look at it carefully to make sure that you've followed all those rules and the crummy powers are uh, correct and the beneficiaries have the right to withdraw annually from the trust. And so there are some pretty complicated uh, things to be addressed, but yes, it is helpful. And basically when the owner does that, they have to give up what's called all incidents of ownership. They can't retain any strings over that life insurance policy. Right. They cannot be the person who could change beneficiaries and things of that nature. The trustee becomes the one who's really in control at that point, and they're not going to be the trustee. And again, this is an irrevocable trust, so um, it can't be changed once it's done. Um, but there are a lot of benefits to doing it. Okay, and I know that once you have an irrevocable life insurance trust, then you can put money into it every year. And that allows you to put money in equal to whatever the annual gift exclusion is. Right, which is $14,000 right now. 
Um, but that has to be what's called a present interest gift um, for certain purposes for the uh, the uh, IRS rules. Um, and then the beneficiaries, as I mentioned, have to have the right to withdraw from the trust. They have to have a certain period of time that they can take money out of that trust. Okay. Once that goes by and you follow certain rules, the IRS is going to consider it to be not part of your estate. Good. And I know that three-year rule does not apply if you start out with a brand new policy. So let's say you're thinking about getting a larger life insurance policy and you set up the ILET, the Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust, and that becomes the applicant for the insurance. Then that policy is never included in your estate. So there is no three-year rule in that particular situation. Right. The trust would be the owner of the policy, essentially. Well, if anybody's listening today who either has a larger life insurance policy or is thinking of taking out a larger life insurance policy, you ought seriously to think about consulting with attorney Michael Coleman and perhaps doing an eyelet instead. Um, and you can do this for minors as well. You can do it for young children. Uh, in the case of my own son, mm-hmm. Peter Lance, he has life insurance trust mm-hmm. and uh he doesn't own the life insurance policies on his wife, himself, his children. Um, they're in trusts, and somebody else is the trustee. So, Mike, I'm going to mention again that you are doing some seminars coming up, and you're going to be talking about many of these topics. Absolutely free, by the way. They're free seminars. They're going to be at the Lance Law Office at 352 Fonts Corner Road on Tuesday, March 24 at 2 o'clock, Thursday, March 26th at 6.30 p.m., and then again on Saturday, March 28th at 10 o'clock in the morning. And if somebody wants to go to one of those seminars, how do they make a reservation? Feel free to call us at 508-998-8800, or you can register online at lancelawinc.com. Okay, and we're going to come back in a minute and amaze you, if you're still listening, about how many different kinds of trusts there are out there. We've only begun to scratch the surface. We'll be right back with attorney Michael Coleman. Welcome back to the Money Wise Radio Show with Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group, your financial and retirement guide. And folks, thank you so much for making us a part of your Sunday morning. Very interesting first part of the show. I know your mission at USA Wealth Group, Ray, is to uh, help our listeners protect everything they've worked very, very hard for, for their family, for their monies. And today's show proves just that. Well, thank you, Phil, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Attorney Michael Coleman from Lance Law, Inc. We're talking this morning about all about trusts. We've covered, uh, well, we actually haven't talked about bypass trust yet, have we? No, not not directly. We've talked about revocable living trust. We've talked about irrevocable life insurance trust. We've talked about pet trust. Mm -hmm. So uh, welcome back, Mike. Thank you. Good to be here. You know, I, I like to quote people because there's so many interesting things to say. One of my other famous people that I enjoy very much besides Ben Franklin is Theodore Roosevelt. I've read many of the biographies about him, different stages in his life. And one of the things he said was, whenever you are asked if you can do a job, tell him certainly I can. Then get busy and find out how to do it. <laughs> but his attitude was always action. Yes. You know, Take action. Do something. Be very proactive in what you do. And um, I also want to give an, a quotation from somebody that you wouldn't normally think about, and that's uh, Roberto Clemente, oh, really? a very famous baseball player. Sure. 
And he said, anytime you have an opportunity to make a difference in this world and you don't, then you are wasting your time on earth. Mm-hmm. I like that. Very profound statement from somebody that we wouldn't ordinarily think about that. And then, of course, um, Harry Truman also had some great Trumanisms, didn't he? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and like the buck stops here was one of his. I remember that one from yeah, memory. Of course. And he also said, Harry Truman, president, always been, excuse me, always be sincere, even if you don't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> Wisdom. <laughs> Wisdom. Well, Mike, let's go on and talk some more about trust because we have bypass trust, we have dynasty trust, we have charitable remainder annuity trust, charitable remainder uni trust, special needs trust, QPERT trust. We have IOTS, irrevocable income only trust. I've talked about Ben Franklin. Actually, I haven't talked about Ben Franklin's trust, have I? Oh, the one in Boston, you mean? Boston and Philadelphia. Mm. This uh, We've mentioned this on the air once oh, yeah. before, but in uh, 1789, when Ben Franklin was ill, he did his last will and testament, and he put trust language inside of his will. So, Mike, you can do trust language even inside of a will, can't right. you? Right, a testamentary trust. It's but that still means that trust has to go through the probate system. Yeah, the assets do. Mm-hmm. But in any event... Um, he created a trust inside of his will, and he left 1,000 pounds sterling to be given to the city of Philadelphia and to be given also to the city of Boston. And he was a great believer in the value of compounding interest. We talk about that a lot. If you start saving when you're 21 or 25 years old, your first job, and let's say you can put aside $100 a month or whatever it is, you do that every single month faithfully, regularly, every single week, you're going to be worth a million dollars or more when you reach retirement age. It's the power of compounding Mm -hmm. interest. Well, he calculated in great detail what this would be worth in 100 years and what it should be worth in 200 years. And then he set aside, as I said, a 1,000 pounds sterling because they were using the pound at that point. We didn't have dollars invented yet. And He wanted the money to be used to provide low-interest loans to young married artificers, craftsmen, basically, um, under the age of 25 years who would need help in starting their own business. So he was thinking about others, but he he did this very precise calculation and estimated that after 100 years after his death and an additional 100 years after that, the money would grow to become 20.3 million dollars. Or million pounds. Wow. And he was right. And so because of his great belief in compound interest, he wanted to see what these cities would do. Of course, he wasn't around to see it. Boston did much, much better than the city of Philadelphia did. There was a lot of uh, dispute in Philadelphia about how to spend the money and how to invest the money. But in 1990, for example, when the anniversary was up for the 200 years, Boston had used money during its first hundred years and used money during the second, but they were wiser in how they invested it. They had over $4 million left in their fund, whereas Philadelphia had about $1.5 million. Hmm. And there were also some disputes, talking about people challenging, contesting wills. The heirs of Ben Franklin filed lawsuits trying to challenge the use of this money and what it was being used for. They were unsuccessful. They filed suits both in Massachusetts, and in Philadelphia. Um, But he had a lot of foresight to think about 
what the power of a trust could do and did a great deal of good as a result of that. And that brings us to the subject of something called a dynasty trust. Right. And a dynasty trust is basically something that you can create for multiple generations. And if you're don't if you're not needing money yourself and if your children aren't really needing a lot of money, you can set up money for other generations. Um, grandchildren's generations, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can really multiply greatly the value. A dynasty trust is often done using life insurance policies as well. So if there's anyone listening who's thinking that, you know, I'd like to set up something that would be around not only for myself and my own children, but for my grandchildren and possibly beyond, you can do that. It's called a dynasty trust. And often... Somebody who has surplus income, they'll use it to fund a large life insurance policy, and those monies will continue to accumulate for them. So think about a dynasty trust as a possibility. Um, Mike, let's jump over to the subject of a special needs trust. And I know that um, I believe possibly next week, Tenny's also going to be talking to some folks about special needs trust. So we won't go into that in huge detail today. But maybe you could describe a circumstance under which a special needs trust might be required. Well, I think more and more these days there are um, children who have special needs who are on government benefits, unfortunately. Um, and in that case, you would not want to leave a large sum of money to that child. If you were to do so, then their government benefits would be interrupted. Um, so what a special needs trust does is it essentially retains the money in the trust, it holds it in trust, and the trustee will have discretion as to when and how to spend that money on the child. Mm -hmm. So it's basically for the child's health, education, maintenance, and support. Um, so rather than interrupting the benefits that are so important to their life, they hold the money in trust and use it only when it's necessary to do so. So it would be an additional source of money to help maybe a child who has... Um uh, mental difficulties or even right. substance abuse problems, I suppose. It would be money to use to pay for their rent or um, whatever other needs they have, but it wouldn't interrupt those important government benefits. All right. And um, then for the lifetime of that child who has special needs, perhaps, and then when they're gone, then there would be another beneficiary that it would pass on to after right. that, I There's, suppose. As I mentioned before, that we always have layers of beneficiaries. So once you set up one of these trusts, it's really something that you don't have to t think about again. And I don't know if you want to talk about common pot trusts. Sure. Let's That's mention common pot trusts. Another that, thing. that has a nice name. <laughs> I wonder how many people have ever heard of the, the phrase common pot trust. Not many. I and haven't. Probably in Colorado they have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But this is sort of the same thing as along the same lines as a special needs trust. Instead of giving your children a certain amount of money, say 50-50 between the two kids, if you have two children, what you do is you just put all the assets in one common pot, one trust, and then the trustee will have discretion as to how to spend that money. So normally it's for minor children rather than giving the money to the minor kids, obviously. You want to hold it back in trust and allow the trustee to decide how and when to use it for maybe one kid has more needs than the other. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that's commonly... And I guess used. one example of that could be if you had two children who were going to be left behind and they both wanted to go to college, 
maybe one wants to go to a public university, one wants to go to a private school. Right. And obviously there's a great difference in costs. So they both are continuing with their education, but this would allow the money to be used to pay education for both of them. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily exactly equal. Exactly. And then a lot of times people will come in or they'll have provisions in the trust itself saying that when the child reaches a certain age, then there will be an outright distribution to them. And you can even write in there that uh, depending on what money has been spent on that child during the child's lifetime, that that money will be deducted from the ultimate distribution so that ultimately both kids get the same amount of money Mm -hmm. in the end. Okay. And do you know anything about the In God We Trust? I I don't. I've never done one of those. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Neither have I. It's actually an amusing name. Um, There's an attorney in town who's unfortunately deceased, John Bentley, who was a friend, and he had a, a penchant for naming trust with unusual names, and one of the trusts that he named was the In God We Trust. <laughs> so I've always remembered that and thought that that was interesting. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe somebody, we should start doing that. Maybe somebody will do that someday. <laughs> we'll have to think of some other names. Well, let's come back to a bypass trust. Let's talk. What's a bypass trust? It sounds like heart surgery. Well, when we're talking about estate taxes, um, this is the, the trust that we're talking about. Um, so normally what we do is if we have an estate of between one and two million dollars, we'll do what's called an AB trust. Um, so the trust, the A trust is a survivor's trust and we put a certain amount of money in that. And then the B trust is the bypass trust. And uh, it's kind of complicated, but essentially the the maximum amount of the estate tax, whether it's state or federal, goes into that bypass trust. Mm-hmm. And then the survivor has certain rights with regard to that trust. They can take out uh, money for health, education, maintenance, and support, 5% or $5,000 per year. And then uh, once the survivor passes away, all the assets in both trusts go to the children. And it helps to uh, prevent or limit estate tax liability. Okay, so I, I can think of an example of that. If you had somebody that had $2 million of assets, for example, mm-hmm. and let's say the husband dies first, if you had bypass trust language in the trust, then the bypass trust or the B trust would be funded with a $1 million. Right. And there's no Massachusetts estate tax on that. Right. But the money that's in there can still be used to benefit the surviving spouse. Right. In this case, the wife. Mm-hmm. And then the remaining assets, the other half of the estate would be in the A trust, right, which that, is the survivor's trust. Right. And okay. the survivor would be able to use any money they want out of that survivor's trust. And they can take money out of the bypass trust, like you said. I mean, there are certain limitations to that, but essentially mm-hmm. they can really take out whatever they want from that bypass trust. So they have, they have the full use of the whole economic value of all the money. Right. Pretty but then much. when the second spouse dies, there's no Massachusetts estate tax either. Right. I mean, in that situation, if you had $2 million and you didn't have this bypass trust, when the first um, person passed away, likely all assets would be passed to the spouse. And that would be okay. There would be a no estate tax on that because of the unlimited marital deduction. So that would be fine after the death of the first spouse. But when the second spouse were to die, they would now have assets over that $1 million amount, and they would be subject to estate taxes at that time. So that's when the problem really occurs. Okay. So it really is a very effective way to protect assets from having to pay taxes. Right. 
And I guess if somebody takes the time and the effort and the trouble to do that kind of a planning, they can save tax money, which otherwise would go to the government. Right, exactly. And it can be quite a large amount of money. It'll go to their family instead. Interesting. We didn't talk about funding the trust, but that's an important thing. Okay, let's talk about – oh, actually, can I ask you one question first? Did you ever hear of Chief Justice Warren Berger? Yes. Did you know that he died without a will and without a trust? No, I didn't. That's amazing. Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Really? who could have had any lawyer in Washington do his estate plan just for the bragging rights for free, died without a will, and he paid a fortune in estate taxes. That's amazing. So even people who should know better often don't take action. So talk to us about funding the trust. What does it mean? Let's say you created this revocable living trust. Um, Why is it important to fund it? Well, the the whole point of funding, of doing a trust, is to help with the estate tax and help with the probate. So if you do a trust, you come in and you execute a trust with us, we always tell our clients that then you have to do certain things after that. Uh, You have to retitle your accounts. You have to transfer any property into the trust or a different trust. If you don't do this, the trust is just sitting there and it's really not doing anything for you. So if you pass away in that bank account or that investment account that you had uh, still in your name alone, it's going to be a probate situation. So the trust really wouldn't have any effect at all. So it sounds like it's really a, a two-step process. Right. Step one is to create the trust, and step two is to make sure you put your assets like your house in the name of the trust. Exactly. Yeah, okay. and we, have, we try and make that as clear as possible to people. Sometimes um, they need it to be explained a little bit in more detail, but yes, it is very important. Do you give them written instructions? We do. We have funding instructions in all of our documents. We have checklists of what to do once the trust is executed. So we definitely have um, explanations of what to do. And we always tell the clients that they can call us and talk to us about it if they want to. Now, the more we talk about trust, the more you realize that there are so many different kinds of trust that different people have different needs. Um, What if somebody, for example, was going to be concerned about protecting their assets or their house from Medicaid and Medicaid lien? Right. I know you can do we trust have the in irrevocable income only trust or an IOT, and this is a trust that is irrevocable. Um, there are benefits and and disadvantages to this trust, so we try and explain that to people when they come in. Um, so Medicaid is pretty complicated. You need five years between the time that you execute this trust or fund the trust and the time that you might need to go into a nursing home. So there's that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, with the irrevocable trust, you can't be the trustee of your trust. It has to be someone else. So normally it's a child, but it has to be someone that you really trust because they're going to be the ones who are basically uh, managing and owning all the assets in that trust. So I guess if somebody's primary goal was to protect their assets from being uh, spent down for paying for a nursing home cost, right. they might consider doing something like this. Right. And it's... It's complicated because if you're still fairly young and maybe in your 60s, uh, you don't want to transfer all of your assets into this irrevocable trust because you won't have access to those assets anymore. And if you're going to be living for another 20 years, you're probably going to need those assets. Okay. Um, so a lot of times people will come in and want to do that for just their house. Does that trust have a particular name? It has another name. It's called a midget as well. A midget. Yeah, Medicaid Intentionally Defective Grantor Irrevocable Trust. Oh. And I, I like the idea of having a trust called the fidget. 
<laughs> I'm not sure. We have to think of a name for the Fidget Trust. That that would be maybe the family. Okay, I like there that. You one. Go. Yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I was thinking of family, but I was trying to think of something that would be more fresh. But <laughs> but I like the idea. Okay, we'll call it the Fidget. Will be the family. Okay, that sounds good. Defective grantor, irrevocable trust. Right. But seriously, the point is that if the concern is to protect all the assets from nursing home. If you plan, it sounds like at least five years right. out, yep. and you do one of these irrevocable trusts, then you could perhaps do that. You, perhaps, yeah. I mean, it would it would work if you have five years. Sometimes mass health is difficult about these kinds of things, but generally it does work. If it's drafted correctly, it will work, and it will help. One of the trusts that I've always been really fascinated with, it's uh, sometimes for people who don't have children, don't have close relatives, and they want to do something good after they've gone, and they'll create something called a charitable remainder trust. And there's all kinds of variations of that as well. I call it a CRT for short. Mm-hmm. But there's a charitable remainder annuity trust, a charitable remainder uni trust. Uni trust typically is invested in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and the amount varies every year. The charitable remainder annuity trust is typically invested in fixed and indexed products, and then that is typically a fixed amount that gets withdrawn every year. But in both cases, it's a way to take money that's in your estate that might otherwise have to pay estate taxes, put it into a charitable trust so that you as the donor, the person that puts the money into the CRT, you've got the right to withdraw income from that. In fact, you have the obligation to take money from it. Uh, It's at least 5% requirement from the IRS. But then when you die, what's left over gets to go either to a second set of uh, beneficiaries, a second set of generation beneficiaries, and then ultimately the balance is going to go off to a charity of your choice. And it helps on uh, uh, capital gains taxes too, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you have assets that have appreciated greatly over time, um, you're going to be exposed to capital gains taxes if you want to sell those assets. And I think one of the great things about the charitable remainder trust is that you get to sort of avoid that. That's a really good point, Mike, um, because when you take the, the property that you have, you put it into the charitable trust, you actually get a charitable tax deduction at the time you do that because you're conveying it into a charitable entity. The other interesting thing is you can continue to be the trustee of that trust, and then you decide where you want to invest the funds. So you have a lot of control. Uh, you can't change the terms of the trust once it's done because it is a variation of an irrevocable trust. But again, if anybody's listening and they have no close relatives, no beneficiaries, and they don't know what to do with their money, sometimes a charitable remainder trust can be a really useful way to do that. And at the ever- end, at the end of the uh, at the end of it all, you only have to really give ten percent of the uh, fair market value of whatever assets are in there to the to the charity. Mm-hmm. So you really get to retain most of that asset. And sometimes I've had people, when I've talked to them about doing a CRT, say to me, well, if I, why do I want to have all the rest of the money go to a charity? I, I like the idea that I'm going to get income during my lifetime, but what about my family? What if I die early and all this money ends up going to a charity? Then you can do something called a wealth replacement trust in tandem with the charitable remainder trust. And what that allows you to do is take out a life insurance policy, for example, and now you use part of the income that's coming from the CRT and you use it to fund purchasing the life insurance policy. It's, it's really called 
having your cake and eating it too because you reduce your estate, you get a charitable tax deduction on the CRT side, you get income during your life or for a term certain like 20 years. When you're gone, there's something going to charity and then you use the Wealth Replacement Trust to provide tax-free the same amount of money that's going to go to your family because mm-hmm. anything inside of the insurance policy uh, in, inside of the Wealth Replacement Trust is not going to pay income taxes or estate taxes. You know, there are so many different kinds of trusts that can be done. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. I get excited when I think about all the variations of the trusts. Yeah, and if you want to learn more, you can come to one of our workshops. Well, when would that be, Michael? That we're having soon. Uh, we have one coming up on Tuesday, March 24th at 2 p.m. at our office, uh, Lance Law Office on 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. We have another one on Thursday, March 26th at 6.30 p.m., again at our office. And we have one more on Saturday at 10 a.m., again at our office, March 28th. And if you want to sign up for any of those, you could call us at 508-998-8800, or you could go register online at lancelawinc.com. So as Oliver Wendell Holmes said, put not your trust in money, but put your money in trusts. That's a good. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that quotation a lot. Most important thing is we ask people to do something, take some action. If anything that Mike has talked about today has interest, definitely sign up for an appointment to go to his seminar or to go see him. Attorney Michael Coleman, thank you so much for being here today. This has been this has actually been enjoyable. I enjoy oh, talking about this stuff. That's good. Always. If yeah, you can't tell. I hope everyone thank you for it. listening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. And uh, we all thank you for listening to the Money Wise Radio Show. Remember that none of us can be an expert at everything. So let the professionals at USA Wealth Group help you protect your family, protect your money. In fact, let their family protect your family. So until next Sunday morning, have a safe week. So long, everyone.